Thank you very much, Dub. He's a good friend, Dub. There's nothing I wouldn't do for him, and there's nothing he wouldn't do for me. And that's the way we carry on, doing nothing for each other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was nearly a compliment. Be careful. That's right. Well, thank you for making it to this seminar. Uh, but coming to a seminar called Call to Stay could make you appear the most boring people on site. I mean, come on, get a life. I mean, isn't it all about going? Isn't it all about responding to the appeals to be part of the mission out there and do it? And I, I know as looking at you, people are involved in the mission out there. And it's, it's sometimes difficult to acknowledge that you're, you're probably not called to go somewhere else. You haven't heard that in your life. You know, you're called to be part of a local church. And being part of a local church doesn't mean to say that you're not involved in mission. So I hope you are people, and I think you're here because you've got vision, you've got mission. But sometimes we can feel those who are not called to go elsewhere. I've been, as you've just heard, at one church for 26 years, leading it there. Sometimes you feel, you see other people moving, and you think, oh, that maybe we should be moving. And we never felt that was right to do, Pam and myself, and uh, in talking to other elders as well, we felt it was right to stay and build. But you see people going prophetic words over them. No one kind of prophesied over me. I should go. I think half the church would have loved to at times, um, maybe more than half. But, uh, you know, in some ways that what didn't happen to us. And, and you stay and you build. Uh, but how you build and what you're building can be really important in mission and world mission as well. Uh, as we've just heard, and I, I, I asked Terry to be my warm-up man this morning and just to introduce the Antioch Church to you because that's in some way the example I want to share with you this morning. You see, first of all, only two men were sent out from Antioch. The vast, vast majority stayed. And yet, we would say at the coin for many years, and the coin's not a perfect church, but I'll be using that as my illustration because that's the reality of how we've worked out our mission in staying as a good local church and building a good local church. You see, we wanted to be an Antioch church, but the majority stay. It's a few that go. And the stars are not just the ones that go. The stars are often the ones that stay and build a good local church and a good local base. And that's what happened at Antioch. Paul and Barnabas would go and then they would return. Thankfully, there was still a church at Antioch. They hadn't all gone. There was still a church there. It was a good church. They were able to give a report, able to feel kind of refreshed and accountable and encouraged in it. And I would say my experience of the Coin Church is that there have been hundreds of people who haven't gone but yet being very significant in the mission uh, that God calls us to beyond Woking, beyond the UK, and so on. So I guess we could kind of put something before us staying that would make it seem a bit more kind of cool and spiritual, prophetic staying. What about that? You know, we could have that as a title. We are being called to prophetic staying rather than going. Uh, but I can see from me here, 
I'm not gathered a miserable group of disobedient people who are here. I know some of you here have gone and you're part of Mission Overseas as well. But it's a great opportunity to stay and support those who go. Now, where I live in Woking, at uh, the front of our house, it's not on our property exactly, we have a silver birch tree. And the silver birch tree looks beautiful at times. It's got a lovely trunk, its branches are spread out, sometimes the leaves fall, that's a bit of a, a pain in the neck. But it's a beautiful tree, it provides shade and color. And lots of passers-by, they admire it. Some of the neighbors admire it as well. Uh, I, I admire it. But when I mow my front lawn, I notice something that most of the neighbors and the passerby doesn't notice, and that's a root. That's a root. And as I mow my lawn, I have to work my way around one of these roots that's just appearing in the middle of my lawn. Now, most of the people that look at the, the tree don't bother with that. They're not recognized that. And I want to talk a little bit today about some of the, the roots uh, in church life that help us to be fruitful in world mission. It's not something that's always recognized or known, but God knows it. God knows that it's there. It's essential. If it wasn't for the root that, you know, I have to kind of mow around a little bit, then in some way that tree wouldn't be there. And that's the same in you being part of your local church, in staying and helping. And uh, some of the roots were there, and I'll just quickly go through uh, something of the experience of the Antioch Church in Acts 11. When I went to the, the Coin Church, started leading it in 1991, then there was already some sort of prophetic word over it about it being Antioch Church, but I was kind of prayed over, and Dave Holden, who was one of the leaders still is within New Frontiers, he kind of prophesied about us being an Antioch Church, and that prophecy was kind of revived and refreshed, and then rather than leaving the prophecy out there, which is sometimes we do, we said, okay, let's make the prophecy happen. Now, that's an unusual attitude sometimes. Sometimes you, someone prophesies over you and you think, well, we just have to wait. And that's true. Sometimes, well, you know, what God's going to do is out of your hands. But sometimes God gives you things you think, well, we can do it. We can do it. Paul wrote to Timothy and said, I'm giving you instructions in keeping with the prophecies you've received. So sometimes we have prophecies and then we need some instructions with them. We need to kind of work on them and work towards them. So what happened in the Antioch church? There were, there were kind of roots that were there. These were anonymous Christians. None of them are mentioned by name, particularly at the beginning of the story in, in Acts 11. They were persecuted in Jerusalem. They went up to Antioch and they were missional and they got involved in cross-cultural evangelism. They didn't just share with the Jews, they shared with people from different cultures, and it was very fruitful. As you know, that was where uh, followers of Jesus were first called Christians. So they were recognized locally as, as making a difference, as having different values, as following somebody particular, uh, and that person was Jesus. They were attractive, grace-filled believers. As we heard from Terry a few minutes ago, Barnabas was sent there, and what he found? The grace of God. He found the grace of God. He didn't find them under law. He found these grace-filled church, grace-filled people. So they weren't a miserable bunch. They weren't under obligation. They weren't under law. They were enjoying the grace of God, and they received 
this kind of apostolic inspection because Barnabas was sent to see what are they doing, how are they doing, and they received this inspection and the teaching from Barnabas and then Saul, who Barnabas introduced to them. They accepted also prophetic ministry, so Agabus turned up, and he, was, he wasn't local, he came, and he shared about the famine in Judea, and let's support them, and they responded to the prophetic word. So they were a recognized church, they were a receiving church, and then they showed they were a generous church, because they gathered money, and they sent money to their Judean brothers and sisters who were in need. They were generous. And then, as we've just heard from Terry uh, in his warm-up act, they were a worshipping and a praying church. The leaders worshipped God. The people worshipped God. There was ethnic diversity amongst the leadership. There was apostolic initiative through the Holy Spirit, the prophetic word. Send Barnabas and Saul. They had uh, laid hands on them, and they sent them. And then there was accountability to the sending church. Paul and Barnabas didn't just kind of clear off and say, thank you very much. They returned and they reported what was going on. It was their home base. It was where they had fellowship with disciples. So if we want to build missional churches, then we need to recognize the importance of life-giving roots to enable growth uh, for blossom and for fruit. And we can look at good mission, but we can also see the roots of that uh, are often within the local church the sending church and we need to be part of that so i want to talk about several things first of all i want to talk about god's heart which is straightforward most of us will know that but it's important that we're kind of rooted in god's heart in all of this then i want to talk about the purpose of the local church and then i want to talk about eldership and leadership engagement and these are more kind of roots in some ways and then i'm going to talk about church members going And then I want to talk about church members who stay and support those on mission. So we'll look at some of the roots and work through to the fruit. Now, some of this encouragement is primarily maybe for church leaders to take action. But if you're not a church leader here, you can hear. And if God speaks to you without going in any kind of a wrong-spirited way, you could encourage your church leader and say, this is what I learned, this is what I heard. You know, it could be helpful. Don't preach at them. Right? Uh, don't be condescending to them because we're a sensitive bunch, church leaders. So, and don't tiptoe around us either. But hopefully you'll be encouraged in what you do and you'll be able to share it. But some advice and suggestions will be that we can, things that we can all take on board to stay and support. And we need both those that go and those that stay and support. They're both crucial to the mission. Let me pray. We recognize, mighty God, that you have come to us in your grace and love and changed our lives, given us faith to believe in Jesus. And we thank you, Lord, for the new life we have. And yet we don't want to live for ourselves. We want to live for you. We want to hear your commission. and We want to be part of the going and the sending and making disciples. And Lord, we pray for those of us who are called to stay in, in one place for a season. Lord, we pray that we won't be kind of isolated from your mission. We won't be independent from your mission. We won't be deaf to your call. And even if we're not going to go, Lord, I pray that we'll be part of your mission 
in helping and encouraging and supporting others who go. Would you do that for us this morning? We want our churches all to be Antioch churches, all to be missionary bases from which people are sent to church plant to bless other nations. We ask that you'll encourage us this morning. Amen. Okay, just take a moment just to talk to somebody else and say, listen, I'm from this church, and if you know people who are out on mission, just say what they're doing. If you don't know anyone who's out on mission, make up a name, all right? Uh, Make up a name and some context that sounds fantastic. It doesn't matter. I hosted Would I Lie to You, so lying is allowed on this site. It's okay. It's not, we've got grace for lying. So why don't you talk to someone you don't know and say, Hi, nice to meet you. I'm such and such. This is where I'm connected with mission or somebody I know or somebody in my church. Just do that to each other for a couple of minutes. So what I want to start with is one of these significant roots which is God's heart for the world and it's something we all know but it's good to kind of dig down again to know what is the motivation the heart the source of mission God desires for everyone to be saved a gracious and loving God wants mankind to be restored to him through faith in Jesus Christ and there's still much work to be done there are nearly 16,000 different people groups within the world. And 6,000 of these people groups are still unreached. Many of them have not even been engaged with gospel workers yet. What's a people group? Well, it's a, a cultural language group which does not have any or enough Christians to reach their own people. So they need help from outside. They need someone to go and to share the gospel with them and God has called us all into his mission uh, uh, it's not that the church finds a mission but the mission has a church as Terry quoted to us the other day and his word promises that there'll be people from every tribe every tongue every nation gathered around God's throne and throughout the Bible God's heart for mankind is evident he sends Abraham so that all the peoples on earth will be blessed Jesus commissioned his disciples to go. God is a missionary God who desires to use his church to help us to pray for his mission, to send and to go ourselves. And in a world filled with bad news, terrorism, war, famine, difficulty, it's sometimes so easy to despair of hope and think that nothing can be done. But the answer is the gospel the good news of Jesus. That can sound very trite and quaint, but it's the truth. The answer is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And whereas we look and see difficulty, God sees a potential and a plentiful harvest. Jesus had that disposition. Lift your eyes up, look, see the harvest. And even the crowds that were there, Jesus had compassion on them. Even though they were helpless and hopeless and harassed, God has hope and he sees a potential harvest. He has compassion for the lost, for the least, for the lonely, for the hopeless, the helpless, for the widow and the orphan. So we see this rooted in God's heart. The next thing is, what is the purpose of the local church? It's not simply to provide a Sunday meeting. It is not simply to provide pastoral care for you and me. These things are good. It's not just to serve me and to satisfy my needs. 
It's not even simply just to organize good youth ministries, children's ministries, or even just to serve your community with good works. It is to also reach out as far as you can with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And many of us can reach out internationally much easier than ever before. Local and world mission should pervade the entire ministry of the local church. In fact, some of it comes to us. We live in a multicultural land. It comes on our doorstep. We live in multicultural societies, many of us. And we have, in this country, resources that other nations don't have. So I want to say to leaders, don't relegate world mission to like a church department or a little part of the church. Because if you're not careful, that is making a big statement against all the other departments. You're saying, you know, this is world mission, the rest is not. Now, even your youth can be world mission. Even your children's work can be world mission. What you do in pouring truth into the lives of children can affect them. That God's mission is enhanced throughout the world because of what you do. What you do with the poor and the needy needs to be thought of in terms of this is part of God's world mission. We're not hyping up what we're doing. We're still local. It's still maybe just our children there. But who knows what they're going to receive. So we must think world mission and, and bring that in and also bring it into our ministries, into our youth teaching, into our children's teaching as well. That's part of the gospel story and part, obviously, of the Bible stories. But we must be intentional at that. So we need to encourage all church ministries to think mission and world mission. So don't kind of just have these sort of meetings and, you know, well, this is a mission meeting. This is a world mission meeting. No, they're all world mission meetings, if you understand what I'm saying. I once went to, uh, it was actually Dub's church uh, quite a few years ago. It was 94. I don't think you were going to church then, were you? 94, you were a rebel sinner. Anyway, <laughs> he was still chasing my daughters, I think, probably around that. Anyway, what happened... Uh, I went to the church, and it was in the, the days of the Holy Spirit was moving. And they, they announced there in the morning meeting, uh, it's good to have Malcolm here with us this morning, but tonight we're having a Holy Spirit meeting. <laughs> uh, so I just couldn't let that pass, you know. <laughs> I don't. So I, I said, well, you know, this must be the non-Holy Spirit meeting then this morning, is it? And we've got to be careful we don't just put mission over certain things and world mission. Uh, so be careful and do that. Bring it into your ministry, your responsibility. It can sometimes sound very grand, but actually we should be very grand. We're called to big things and to great things. And uh, our commission is to be witnesses in Jerusalem, locally, Judea, within the region, into Samaria, with ethnic minorities and other groups, and to the ends of the earth, other nations. And this is for all of us, not just the few. And mission is the reason why churches exist. We make disciples in order that they might be missional. We make disciples so that they might make disciples. And you never know. I was with a group where I, I kind of discipled them for a while, and they were all going to be around woking. That was all of their thoughts. And one of them has gone off to Spain to be part of the church plant in Madrid. It's just brilliant to be part of that process, just and put something into someone's life 
and then they go. It's still exciting if they stay in Woking and do it. So it's not second class to stay in Woking at all, but it's just exciting to see actually how things expand and go. And mission is the very reason Jesus establishes church. We're not to think that some do missions while the others stay at home. We do church and join in local ministries, but others do mission. No, we are part of the world mission too. Mission is for all disciples. We've all been commissioned to go, to be Christ's ambassadors and ministers of reconciliation. I'll read from 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14 to 20. I'll read it to you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again so from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view though we once regarded Christ in this way we do so no longer therefore if anyone is in Christ the new creation has come the old has gone the new is here all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf be reconciled to God. That's a call upon us all. An authentic mission church will seek to disciple, equip, commission, and support its members to be ministers of ambassadors of reconciliation, both home and away. That's an important part. So I would say local and world mission should be a key part of the vision statement of a local church. We had and um, may still have for a little while, although there's a new leader of the coin, Steve Petch, and he's free to change this, but this has been our mission statement for quite a long time. We seek to be an Antioch church, a family of believers being equipped and released to kingdom ministry and mission, a recognized local community, meeting people's real needs with God's real power, and a house of prayer for all nations. That was our, now it's a long-winded, if you ask people in the coin, most of them wouldn't remember that. They tend to use just the strap line, which is meeting people's real needs with God's real power. That's what they can remember. But actually, we make sure as, as elders and teachers that we bring these other things. We do want to be an Antioch church. We want to be a, a receiving church, like the Antioch church was. First of all, a recognized local church, and we are. Uh, our chief executive, I just had a meal with him from Woking Borough Council a few weeks ago. He kind of took me out for a meal on my kind of retirement, which is very kind of him. I've always got on well with him. He's an interesting guy. He's an atheist. But he would say, Malcolm, I don't believe what you believe, but I can't deny what your church does. Isn't that an amazing statement? An amazing statement. So we do want to be a recognized local church, not doing it everywhere else and not being a local witness. We want to do it locally. And we say we want to be equipped to kingdom ministry and mission. And we want to be a house of prayer for all nations. So we're a recognized local church. We want to be a receiving church of apostolic ministry. We want to be a resourcing church. Sending people on mission, sending money to mission. 
uh, and also sending Ephesians 4 ministries. I would go and serve other churches, but some of my other elders and other people within the church were gifted in going and helping other churches. And we wanted to be a house of prayer for all nations. That leads me to my third point. It's really important that there's leadership and eldership engagement in a sense of mission, world mission in the local church, including the trustees as well. The trustees need to be on board. Not that they might make the decision on mission, but they need to have a good heart and understand the local church is there for blessing the nations. Uh, and we were well served by people who look after our finances and make sure we're okay, we're legal within our finances and all these sort of things. But we want to also make sure we are generous in our finances and got a world mission viewpoint as we budget as well. So it's crucial that church elders and leaders must reflect God's heart for the nations. I was raised in Liverpool. My father was a Baptist minister. He had a church in Everton in Liverpool. It was called the People's Church. And it was really a working class church. But we had at one time 25 people from that church out on mission. And I remember, because in our kind of vestibule, they used to call it, uh, the, the foyer that was there, there was this kind of board, and it had lights on, and you could press. You had a name on, you pressed the name, and the light came on most of the time. Sometimes it didn't work. <laughs> and you looked at people who were serving all over the world from this kind of, I would say, into, in a poor area, a working-class area. And, uh, and my dad had a, a mission for that. I remember him taking me uh, as a young lad to Berlin, and uh, we went to Berlin, the wall was still up, and he was involved in supporting a refugee mission where people from the east were still using the, the underground to get through to the west and to the freedom of the west. And I was taken there, and it was just amazing. I was caught up a little bit in kind of world mission on those visits and, and seeing what happened. And these were ordinary folk, you know, these were some of them had been teddy boys. These were, weren't the bright lights in, in the community. They just heard God, and they would... They would go and they, they would serve God. I mean, one guy just went and said, I'll go there and just put his hand on a, you know, a map. Uh, uh, and said, oh, where's there? Oh, Guinea. Oh, I don't know where that is. I went to the travel. Have you got any flights to Guinea? <laughs> no. You know, it was, some of it was wacky and weird. Uh, needed some more order. But it, it happened. And, you know, I was blessed by that. And at the coin, I've been absolutely blessed by other people in the church who have a heart for mission it's not just come from me it's come from a broader group and i thank god for that there's been people like john wardill who's worked alongside me as an elder brilliant cross-culturally has gone out and worked in pakistan and, and turkey even tim brown who's here is one of my heroes him and liz they've been part of the eldership brilliant in cross-cultural work locally they would meet and connect with people from other nations, have them round to the house for a meal. He was part of our eldership. You couldn't help but have an eldership that had a heart and a mind for reaching across cultures. And then Tim and Liz themselves felt they should go to India. And they went out. They'd been part of the Dwar Church plant in Delhi. And we kind of sponsored them uh, for a few years. And you had your sabbatical. Part of your sabbatical was there as well. And then they came back for a few years, and then they felt the call of India, and we were able to send them again. 
surrounded people like that. Phil Moore was an elder with me for a while. Again, brilliant cross-culture. He wanted to teach the Muslims, wanted to, you know, put a, a leaflet through every door of every Muslim person in Woking. And we've got about 10,000 of them. The first uh, mosque in, the, in Britain was built in Woking. And uh, so we have a big community there. And we were, so Phil Moore was out for engaging with them, giving them gifts during Ramadan and inviting them in. We had one evening where he had a debate with someone and only Phil Moore could have done that. I would have been, I'd have been lost on the third point, you know. But uh, just people like that, that you're so blessed. It's really important that elders and leaders say, God, give me a heart for the nations. Give me a heart for other people. So we've sought and worked to build a good local church and a good missional sending church. That's a healthy tension. A good local church and a good sending church as well. It's right that every local church should be pursuing local ministry and mission. It would be wrong for you to ignore the lost and the needy neighbors that you have in your village or your town or city. And we must give attention to this. But don't have too small a vision. Uh, in Isaiah 49:6, God says this, It is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I've kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. If you're a local church doing a good local work, well done. But I would say, with a smile on my face, it is too small a thing for you just to be working locally. There's a world mission out there for you to be engaged in. And you can't just hurtle into that, but I would say certainly it's important that leaders and elders. So elders don't get stuck in Jerusalem. <laughs> don't just uh, get stuck in Jerusalem. Get out into the region, cross-cultural work. There's so much to do at home. I know lots of pastoral things, local needs, but we need to lift our head up. And I would say at the Coin Church, we have found great benefit in being a church that's on world mission. It's also enhanced our local mission as well. It helps us. It lifts our heads up. It, it gives us different perspectives and understanding. Because sometimes what we think is difficult in the UK is not really difficult when you go to other nations and see what they have to put up with. So leadership and eldership engagement is important. Important. It's not a local or a global thing. It should be both. And I would say also for local churches, as we've just heard this morning, it's good for us to receive and be part of apostolic ministry and apostolic mission. I'm so grateful for people like Terry Virgo, for Dave Devonish, for Guy Miller and others who would come into our church or you would send your people to a conference where they would speak and they would be well taught from Scripture, but they would have their heads lifted to world mission, the apostolic mission to go and reach others. And it's good to have apostolic input because sometimes we do get so kind of crowded by our own local work. It's now and again good just to, hey, there's other mission. Well, we're just about struggling doing our own stuff. I want to tell you, when God opens your eyes to world mission, I believe it can help you. It says in Isaiah, when you help the, the poor and the needy, then your own depression lifts. And there's something about that in world mission, I believe. When you go and, and serve others that you don't really have a regular connection with, but you do not have generosity of heart and the call of mission, then something, I think, becomes lighter even in your local mission. 
and you do that. So I think it's important. It's brilliant to have apostolic ministry. We produced this quite a few years ago, the Coin Church and Mission. And uh, it had our mission statement, sort of the great, great commission, and also gave advice. So we made something like this available to our church members. We're not telling them all they have to go, but we're informing them what we are as a church. We're saying, listen, this is something you're part of. And if you're considering being on mission, this is how we can help. I had advice. If you're thinking of going overseas to mission, talk to the elders, have a chat. Are you serving locally? I'll come to some of these questions later on. So it was really kind of good advice, down-to-earth advice for people. And if we're wanting to see within commission thousands of lives transformed through hundreds of churches in tens of nations, it means that our leaders need to have global mission in our heart and our vision. So if you're a leader, if you're a trustee, a leader of a mission or a ministry within the church, is global mission in your heart and your vision for what you're leading? Does world mission feature in your ministry and leadership? Does it feature in your preaching? Do you sometimes have guest speakers? I'm not talking about the missionary weekend. I was raised where we used to have missionary weekends. Ah, I hated them, right? Uh, bless these people who were doing all sorts of things. But, you know, they didn't kind of grab your attention in some way. They weren't necessarily great preachers. And they'd come and tell you a story. And you were with them for the first 10 minutes. A bit like this seminar. And after 10 minutes, you oh, you know, let's get a coffee. Whatever it is. That sort of thing. And, uh, but you can get people in who preach and speak. Uh, people who have been on world mission. They just lift the spirit and the eyes of your folk does world mission feature in your prayer meetings because we had people out of the coin we had a wonderful obligation to pray for them we get messages in would you pray about this and we're a regular friday morning prayer meeting we're often mentioning things this is what we need overseas we pray for tim and liz and others who are overseas and we pray for them and you know when you're overseas and i've been overseas for a visit it's great to think that people back at home are praying for you it's like as if their prayer has more power, uh, you know, more influence with God. And you're greatly encouraged to find out that people are praying for you. So let world mission feature in your prayer meetings. Are you prepared to send good folk to other places? That's a challenge. We, we've lost, I mean, all of our folk are good, but we've lost some brilliant people. They've gone off to other places. You know, people I had working with me and I think, yeah, we're going to work together for a while. And then I even opened the door to people like Phil Morgue leaving the coin church and going and doing what he's doing. You know, I kind of kick myself now and again for doing that. But it was absolutely right. Do you understand? A great gifted guy, seeing what he's doing now. And uh, I just said, well, there's an opportunity at Wimbledon. I was helping Wimbledon. Do you think it could be an opportunity for you? He said to me, I'm not thinking of leaving. That's fine. I said, well, go and pray about it. I shouldn't have said that because he went and prayed about it, comes back and he says, I'm still not sure, but I'll investigate it. And he followed it through and felt it was, it was right. It's painful when people go. Sometimes I kind of think, what if all of those people had stayed? What a fantastic church we would have. No, we wouldn't. We'd all be falling out. There's so many leadership gifts there, so many kind of different gifts. So there's no room for it. So sometimes you send the good people and it makes room for other leadership gifts and other ministries to come through as well. I want to ask you, do you have appropriate overseas links that can be developed? Do you have links with other nations? 
you know, I think it's good to have apostolic kind of accountability in it, but sometimes you have people within your church come, maybe short-term, longer-term, to be part of you, they have links. It's good to consider these things. Other nations, and another thing I would say, why not adopt an unreached people group? Why not adopt an unreached people group as a church? Uh, there are thousands of them. We had this on our elders' agenda for quite a while. And in 2003, Pam and I were having a sabbatical. So I said to my eldership, and Tim Brown was on it. He's going to take full responsibility for this. I'm glad you're here this morning, Tim. I, I, he didn't, I didn't know he was coming. I didn't ask him to come just so I could use him as a, you know, a dartboard. But <laughs> I said to the elders, Please, while we're away, why don't you look and pray about that and maybe to some conclusion. I don't have any strong feelings myself about adopting a people group. And I went away hoping it would be like the Bahamas or <laughs> somewhere like that and we could maybe get involved. When I came back, Tim said to me, we decided to support the Kalkan people. But who are they? The Mongolian race. Mongolia? <laughs> Mongolia? <laughs> I said, Mongolia? <laughs> I nearly sacked all the elders. Oh, I didn't want Mongolia, kind of some other place that's got a bit more attractive, easier to get to. So we, we decided to go for it in faith. And uh, Tim researched it. He was a pioneer in this. He researched it, went out with a young man from the church, went and visited, made connection with people, followed it through. And this was the good thing about this. It wasn't a link that we were having with some nations because of my ministry. Do you understand? It wasn't. And it, that was really healthy as well. It was really good because it wasn't because Malcolm had been there to preach that we had links. And we have that with India and other places like that. But it, it was because, in some way, the church folk were getting engaged. And uh, Tim, why don't you come and tell us a little bit about what you did? Come on, quickly. How did you develop it? See, spontaneous. Well, what was it? a little bit of the process? You've got sure. just a couple of minutes. Yep. Uh, <laughs> the, the process of it, I mean, God led us towards Mongolia. There were just different uh, elements. We were praying about it, and God brought it to mind. And then we started get we got some information through. There were one or two links, and it was very clear that He was sort of pointing us in that direction. Uh, and then, yeah, I, I, I went out there with another young guy from the church. We had one or two phone numbers. Um, and landed in UB, the capital, Ulaanbaatar, and called a few people, and God opened some amazing doors. We very quickly met some pastors out there that we started to form some links with and some ministries, and what we were keen to do was not just to establish uh, just a kind of leader-to-leader -leader relationship. As Malcolm said, we wanted to engage with with churches but with people as well and so we started taking teams so i think over well over 80 or maybe over 100 people from the coin have now been to mongolia uh and so there's lots of there are lots of there's a real network of relationship there it's not just leader to leader so there's there's a praying community who praying with intelligence into what's going on out there and and it's just been brilliant how god has used those relationships over the years well done, Tim. Thank you for sharing that. Drop that right on you. Well done. Thank you for that. Uh, so in some of these contacts, then what we do, we kind of send people out on mission. We had a, a part of our aims and goals every year has been to have 10% of our membership on long or short-term mission every year. 
and our membership one stage was about 600 so we wanted 60 people and maybe we'd have 20 already out full time and we thought how can we get the other 40 out uh, and if you weren't careful you were put under the wrong sort of pressure but it helped us think do you understand so we we utilized new frontiers teams New, to, New Frontiers used to send teams out. Commission sends teams out occasionally. Or we organized our own teams. So we had links with India. If you look at, talk to Samir, uh, who's playing the drums on, in the band. Uh, he leads the church in, in uh, Delhi. He would say now from the coin, there's been over 60 different people from the coin who have visited Dwar at different times. Now, okay, some of them have got the resources to do that. Sometimes we've supported them financially. We have links into uh, Zimbabwe. Another guy from the coin, Trevor, all right, who was here. You went out on a trip, didn't you? Um, come and tell us what you did. <laughs> See, these people are RFA, ready for anything. Tell us what you did. I uh, went as part of a team to do some work in an orphanage. <laughs> Trouble is, it's shorter than I am. Um, so we, we went for uh, a period of about a week or something for pre-planned work to put some uh, hot water into an orphanage and found lots of things that they hadn't got when we got there, like toilets that worked and things like that. So we did all that sort of thing. Uh, and then we had an enjoyable time after that. But I felt a bit guilty in that bit, but uh, we enjoyed the work. Great. What's your skill, your trade? Uh, electrics and plumbing. There you are. I tell you, this trip, the, the people we sent out to Zimbabwe, I would have loved them to have had a week in my house. <laughs> there was more work to do in my house than there was in all of Zimbabwe. Right? And we sent out a super team, isn't that right? Gifted people who went out and really skilled. You know, they're not, not necessarily platform people. Sorry? Two weeks. Two weeks. All right. His wife's corrected him, as is the norm. Okay. Yeah, it was two weeks. Okay. Thank you, Dallas. You're now mentioned on this, Dallas. So we're okay on that. So another thing, do you provide information about world mission? You know, it's easy to do, even on your website. or So you have to be sensitive and careful. So I would say, please put it on your agenda if you're in leadership and ministry. Then what about church members going? Well, we must be open and willing to send people and the, the good people as well. Our first couple, when I went to the coin, 1990s, there was nobody out on mission. There may be have been beforehand. But the first couple we had was a couple, I call them a hippie couple, Seamus and Billy Anderson. And they, they were just not, you know, materialistic people at all. He was a horticulturalist and he got involved with Tear Fund and he went to Peshawar right north of Pakistan where you can't go through the tribal lands and he was working up there and he was working with the Afghan refugees and him and uh, Billy his wife they went out there and was just doing a great work and we learned so much through them you know we made mistakes but we supported them we prayed for them we even visited them and uh, we were taken up through the Khyber Pass. The Russians were uh, in charge then. We could look over the Khyber Pass and look into Afghanistan and, and see what was going on. It was just brilliant. A, a group of us went to visit them and support. So we learned a lot. And there's no guarantees that all will go well when people go on mission. I would say in most cases, when you send people on mission, the goalposts move somehow. It's not the playing field that they expected. 
sometimes some things are significantly different. Sometimes there just needs to be some adjustment. So you send them out to do this, and when they get out there doing something slightly different, you've got to have grace for that as well. Another thing is I'm going to share some kind of questions you can ask in the process of thinking about people. Should I go? Should they be going? Those sort of things. Be careful that you don't disqualify people too quickly. Because sometimes people who, who maybe don't flourish in our home center will flourish in another place as well. Maybe they're not the best at coming to the prayer meetings and everything else, but they've got a heart for somewhere. So be careful, but still ask some good questions. I would check out the call and commission. What are the motives to go? Are they well connected and going to be accountable to the leadership in the local church? Are they already serving? I mean, I think that's a realistic uh, evaluation. Uh, they're not going to go over there and st start becoming servants if they're not servants at home. So do it locally before you start doing it elsewhere. And these are reasonable questions to ask of people. Are they even involved in cross-cultural mission at home? So we've had some people who said to me, I feel called to, to this nation, this Muslim nation. So I said, well, are you doing anything within Woking? And they said, no. And I said, I think you should do something in Woking first before I'm really happy to put my hand to it. Now, you've got to be careful because we know lots of missionaries who were rejected by leaders and missionary organizations who went out and did a great work. So I don't want to make a mistake in that, but it, you don't throw away sensibility and good questions in the process. So you ask them, are they serving home? Is the mission appropriate to their gifts, their qualifications, their measure? What are the vocational implications for them, job-wise, family, schooling, residential implications, not just for going, but what's happening to their home if they don't sell up and go? Will they be working with another mission agency? Do they have the same values as we have? Now, quite a lot of the mission agencies that work out there understand New Frontiers and are more accept accepting of our values because they've seen something over many years that is genuine and fruitful. Uh, but it wasn't like that at the beginning. So they weren't quite sure. Some agencies like Frontiers, they will send people out into uh, Islamic context. And what they do, they actually let the leader set the values up. So you can have one that's maybe more with New Frontiers or Commission values. Another one that's got maybe more Anglican values or uh, Vineyard. And they let, it do it, let them do it that way. But it's worthwhile finding out the values if you're going to partner with other uh, mission groups and agencies. What further investigation and preparation is needed? And also, can the leaders really endorse and support the mission adventure? Not that we have to rubber stamp everything, but it's really important if, if those going on mission can get the leadership support uh, to go and doing that. So seek to work well with other mission ministries and agencies. We've had to work with Wycliffe, with Tear Fund, with Frontiers, uh, and we've had good links, and we've worked hard at keeping in connection. So it's, it's not just us as a local church, even though we highly value local church. We honor these other ministries. I mean, Wycliffe is just amazing in Bible translation. The, the linguists they have are the best in the world. You know, so you, a local church can't provide that. We can't do it. So we don't kind of think of them as parachurch. They're not needed. The local church does everything. No, some of these mission agencies do things that the local church can't do. 
and can't reach out to do. And of course, we as Commission, as New Frontiers, we're a mission agency as well. We send people out, so work well with them. I would say this, be clear about financial commitments and expectations. What the, we've often supported people going out on mission to some degree, we don't give them all unless we were seconding them or sponsoring them and they've been part of our staff. We would give them so much and then we would say, you need to raise the rest of the money yourself, but let us know. And actually that was, that was helpful. It helped their faith. It tested their faith. And not that we wanted to put them through a, a rough time or difficult time, but it caused them to have to go out, do you understand, to their friends and say, would you be willing to support us? And by God's grace within the coin, we have lots of, lots and lots of people who, who give, first of all, their first fruits to the coin, and then they give extra to mission. Uh, I think that's often the way it is, because we as a church were supporting mission. So people who, who give their tithe or whatever to the local church are supporting mission and world mission. But then sometimes they say, we'd like to support that couple in Tajikistan or that couple in Jordan, and they would help and support. I would say also ensure a support group. They need support back at home. What's happening with their bank accounts? What's happening with their home? Is it being rented out? Is it, you know, is that done through an agency or someone within the church who can handle that? These practical things are important. What about emails? A support group? Is there somebody going to filter the emails? News updates? We always made sure there was a prayer group to support individuals, so not just our church prayer meetings. We had individual prayer groups for people out on mission, which was brilliant as well. Uh, feature mission folk in your church prayer meeting. I mentioned that. Provide pastoral support, not just the elders working with the other agencies sometimes, but, you know, get out there and support. You know, it's hard when you're, people are out on mission. It's tough for them, and a good visit from a leader or people in the church occasionally just helps them and encourages them don't be uh don't overdo it i mean i would say tim and liz out in delhi have been fantastic they've had scores of people visiting them you know and they've been hospitable in that but the danger is every other week they could have somebody visiting them so you've got to be sensitive about that as well so provide pastoral support. Make a pastoral visit. So for Pam and I, some of our most adventurous, frightening, scary moments have been on pastoral visits overseas. We've been stuck up mountains in Tajikistan with no petrol, no fuel, miles away from the village, uh, not knowing where we were. We've, we've been stuck in no man's land. We've been let out of one country and not allowed into the next one. And we had to turn around and come back and the guards were suspicious of us. Why wouldn't they have you in that country? Well, it's not an international crossing. We thought it was an international crossing. You let us through. Well, oh, well, we're not quite. So we have all sorts of things, chasing a border crossing where we had to get across to, to get a flight and so on. We've had all sorts of places. We've been driven past places that had a landslide. So the guy who was with us said, oh, the half of the village was knocked out with a landslide. And as we carry on through the village, rocks start coming down. 
and we kind of, oh no. So we stopped, he reversed uh, the Jeep that we were in. He went and investigated and there were just men at the top of the mountain throwing rocks down in order to restore the road. But they weren't bothered about any traffic that was passing down underneath. They were just lobbing it from the top of the mountain and these things were bouncing down across. So we had to kind of communicate with them, just stop to let us pass. All sorts of exciting things. Keep the church involved, informed. We put a publication out now and again, which is called Coin Worldwide. It sounds kind of grand, but it, it, we put a, uh, uh, just an update on people who are out on mission. Pray for them. We'll put the picture up and do that and keep it at the front of people. When they return home, honor them. Honor them. Let them give a platform report. Maybe if they've got a gift, let them preach. Expose the church to them and them to their sending church. The role and support of a sending church is very important. It's not a secondary matter. At the moment, the coin now has links with people out in Brazil, Dubai, France, India, Jordan, Lebanon, Mongolia, Spain, Turkey, USA, Zimbabwe. Now, you know, I'm not saying that for boasting. That's, that's just the way it is. We're a good-sized church. We've been doing it for a while. And uh, to be honest, I think lots of churches can find many links that can be substantial and helpful uh, in getting your church. And my last point is about us boring church members who stay at home. God doesn't tell everyone to move overseas, but we can support him. I would say this, get involved in mission. Read about mission. Read about mission. John Piper's book on Let the Nations Be Glad is a great mission book. And Dave Devonish, he wrote a great book on what on earth, earth is the church for. A really good book uh, from within New Frontiers about mission. Read biographies about William Carey, Hudson Taylor, C.T. Studd. These people who went on adventure when facilities weren't so good and they served the Lord. I would also say this, celebrate and own what your church is doing at the moment. Don't go away from this seminar and think oh we could be doing a lot more and become a bit of a nag uh, to other people or celebrate what you're doing get involved in what you're already doing uh, as a church people who are out on mission uh, and you can use your resources make your resources available your money your care your gifts an email whatever it is use your resources to support and send others who will bring the gospel to all people I would say this also, give faithfully to your local church. Hopefully your local church is a mission church, certainly on local mission. But give faithfully to your local church. And where you can, go beyond your giving to local church to support mission work. People maybe that you know, or if you don't know anyone, someone from a mission agency that you can support. Even tonight when you give, that will be part of a mission offering to support people who are going to go church planting and do work overseas. Join a support group for those on overseas mission. They need admin support, finance support, someone looking after the house maybe, prayer support. Provide pastoral support uh, by visiting or letters or emails or whatever. Subscribe to their emails. Sometimes, you know, people say we send emails back uh, and... You know, find out if people are out on mission, send an email back, say, we'll have one. We'll have one so we know what's happening. That's just a great encouragement to them. And you can be part of their support. And when they come back home, 
welcome them back home. Be hospitable, invite them round for a lunch or a meal or a coffee, chat to them, encourage them, bless them. Now, if you're from a church that has no one out on world mission, that can be very sad, but you can still be a partner in world mission. I would say this, pray and desire for your church to become a sending church, not a keeping one. Try and subscribe to regular emails or updates from mission organizations, from those on mission. Or even yourself, adopt a people group. You can Google the Joshua Project or Global Frontier Missions, and they give you lists of people groups. You can engage in them, pray for them, support them. But I would say probably within your reach, within commission, within your local church, or within your region of churches, there's probably somebody on mission that you can say, I can help them and support them and give them some joy in their work. I would also say where you can work cross-culturally in your hometown. That's a big thing. That's where it started for lots of our folk. They were good cross-culturally within Woking. So, well, mission is a joy and privilege. And Jesus said, when you go, I am with you always. Well, mission has the accompaniment of Jesus himself as we go out to make disciples. And well, mission keeps us in step with Jesus himself. And we've got to be ambassadors for him. If you're called to stay, that's great. Just turn to the person next to you and say, you're a fantastic person whether you go or whether you stay. Do that right now. You're a fantastic... You are, you are not a second-class Christian or disciple at all. Let's be on mission locally in the world. But what next steps can you take to help and support your church in being a sending church? Take those steps. Don't go and nag your leaders, but in grace, let's take a step forward. And let's individually commit to be obedient to Christ's commission to go. And let's ask God to give us his heart. I'm going to pray. Mighty God, we do this not because we're finding a task to do, but because it's on your heart. And when we go, it's because that's your heart, that you should reach out with your good news, and we're your ambassadors. So, Lord, touch our hearts above everything else this morning, that we will have a heart to, to be on mission, to go on mission. But if we're called to stay, we'll still be part of the mission in supporting those who are out there. And Lord, give us great encouragement and much fruit in it all. We ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much. We're going to finish there. Thank you. If you have any questions, I'm happy to chat to people. If you want to kind of, if you need to go, that's fine too. God bless you as you go. I send you. You're not stayers, you are goers.